All right, guys, I'm James O'Neill. Once again, you're here with O'Neill Ops, and this is the O'Neill Ops podcast. Today, we're going to be going into detail on reloading. Generally, like I said, what we do is go over information that most guys ask us about. You know, if it's something that we have some insight, some experience with, we'll touch base on it. And try to give you guys as much info as we possibly can. And uh, we also have John O'Neill, my brother, with us here today as co-host. He reloads a lot with us. And um, we're going to just be covering everything. The whole, the whole uh, broad range of reloading. We've been doing this for years. 10, 15, to 20 years. And been around it really almost our whole lives. I mean, we have, I've got relatives that reload. I've got neighbors that have reloaded when I was a kid. So it's nothing that's, that's new. And I'm not going to claim that we know everything there is to know about reloading, but, um, there are a lot of guys out there that want to get into it. We know it. They ask us a lot of our YouTube videos are really geared for, Hey man, you know what, what bullet are you using? What cartridge are you using? What's the best caliber for coyotes? So we kind of want to touch base on that along with, like I said, going into detail on reloading. We're also going to be following up this podcast with a YouTube video that goes into detail on reloading. So you guys can get the visual aspect of it as well. We're going to be, uh, doing a reloading video on the 22250 is the caliber that I'm going to be going over, which the same principles really apply to other calibers as well. It's just an easy caliber for us to do a video on because we've got a lot of guns. It's our primary cartridge for killing coyotes and we're set up for it right now. This summer, usually we go into, you know, longer ranges. 260, 6.5. Get out there. Yeah. Get out there at 400 to 1200 yards. Sometimes we even, you know, I, I've shot out to 2050 on an MOA plate with my 338 Norma. That's really not out of the ordinary nowadays. You know, it's, it's crazy how things are getting, but we're going to be talking about the benefits of reloading specifically for, you know, hunting and long range and just general applic- applications for what you like to do. First off, um, a <laughs> little bit of a disclaimer it's Memorial Day. You know, it's kind of been a, a crazy new year. We've been real busy uh, getting the cattle out, getting them calved, getting them tagged, vaccinated. We were branding 600 head ourselves today, due, or 600 head ourselves this year within the past month due to the situation at hand with COVID. So we're, we're really strapped for time. And this year I planted a little bit more acreage of corn than I have in the past, but we're kind of getting caught up. So we're going to try to get more, more videos out and more content out there for you guys. Like I always say, I'm going to do, we're going to, we're going to keep going with it. We're going to keep pushing forward. But before we get started on reloading, like I said, disclaimer, we got kids running around Memorial day weekend. If you hear something hear doors get beat on, it is what it is. Reloading first things first from personal experience. All right. Safety. Just like everything, treat everything, treat every gun as if it's loaded. Safety um, that that I kind of go by that I from from personal experience, like I said, is know your components, pay attention, 
pay attention. You know, there's times where guys get double charges or they don't know what powder they're putting in. Usually try to keep one specific kind of powder on the table at a time. Um, sometimes we don't, we usually write like on my charge masters, you know, we'll write, we'll take a, a sharp or not a Sharpie, uh, E-rate dry erase marker and, and write down what powder is in that charge, that charge master, because it, and we'll, we'll, this will unfold for you guys that don't understand how it goes, but, um, safety first. So you always want to be coherent. You always want to pay attention to what you're doing and don't shoot, you know, other people's reloads. This is something from personal experience that, that I will tell you a truthful story. Okay. I was in, I think I was in college. Pretty sure. Yeah, we, we were, we were in college. Right. And my dad had a Remington 700 BDL. It was a two it chambered in 270. Not nice, nice factory rifle, you know, like a Leupold very X2, just a nice, nice standard traditional style hunting rifle. And, uh, he had a, a, a neighbor reload for him. Well, he was having issues with the firing pin assembly on this gun and sent the bolt in to have it fixed, the, the bolt in to have the firing pin assembly fixed. I don't know at the time what it was, if it was, if it was the spring, if it was the firing pin itself, I, I don't remember. But I do remember the reloads that he got for that gun were not sized properly. And, and, and granted, guys, I had no idea. You know, I, I, This is before I was even really getting into reloading aggressively right we got reloads from a guy and we're like cool you know we can shoot him well what happened was that gun was using was was shooting those reloads previous to what i what i knew previous to what what i was actually going to use that gun for and that gun had no bolt in it and it was sitting in my dad's safe no bolt in it because a bolt was sent off to the factory and it was sitting in my dad's safe with no bolt. Okay, so here's what I did. What I was going to do was clean it. I was going to, you know, I wasn't going to uh, clean the barrel. I was just going to make sure the bolt worked, you know, kind of maybe run some lube. It was, it was uh, fall. We were looking to, to hunt some coyotes, and I had some buddies with us. So we're downstairs, and it's late at night, 10, 11 o'clock. And uh, I get the bolt. I, I, I don't visually inspect the chamber. I don't look down it because I'm assuming, right? I'm assuming that that gun is empty because there's no bolt in it and it's in the safe barrel up. So I go to get the gun and I'm going to check the firing pin. I put the, the, put the bolt in, run it, and it kind of closes hard, which I should have known, 100%, I should have known better. When that bolt closed hard, I should have went, hmm, you know, that's not right. That feels weird. Well, I close the bolt, put it on fire, Freaking pulled the trigger, had the gun aimed straight down at the ground, and it went boom, blew a hole right downstairs, right below where we are, and there's still a hole in the concrete, you know, probably two to three inches around, and that, to me, was an eye-opener. That's where I can pass on legit information to you guys. How, how would I have even, I mean, how does a guy know that? visually inspect those were reloads that weren't properly resized and what happened was what i what i'm assuming is whoever shot that gun before me chambered around and, it, and somehow what happened the bolt broke whatever they opened it and whether it was the extractor uh, didn't grab the case i don't know the bolt got pulled out and the cartridge was left wedged in the chamber and it got put away like that 
So always pay attention. And that goes right back to reloading because if those cases were properly sized, how they should have been, that cartridge, that case should have extracted, it should have came out or it should have fell out of the chamber. It should have never been stuck in there. So that's from personal experience, safety guys. All right. I learned it firsthand. Luckily, luckily I was smart enough to make sure and go, Hey, you know what? Point the gun in the safe direction when you're even dry firing, even when you're dry firing. And that's exactly what I did. I was taking safety precautions, but that's just your muscle memory. That's just something you always do. No matter what, you always keep it pointed in a safe direction and that that's why you had it pointed in a safe direction. But like you were saying about paying attention, look in here, you got a TV downstairs in your weight room, but your reloading setup, there's nothing here to distract you. It's plain, it's simple, it's clean. There's not a radio over there. There's not anything to screw you up. You just pay attention to what you're doing and there's no distractions. And we can go into a little bit more detail on the safety features because remember when we were, I don't know if you were with us at Chad's, Remember when we were up there getting those guns and he, he, we'll go into a little bit of detail on the, on the burn rates of powder, but usually as a general rule of thumb, you have, you know, the quicker burning powders are for the smaller cartridges, you know, your pistol powders, your, your, your 223s, and then your slower burning powders are up to where, you know, your magnums, your bigger bore calibers. That's kind of the general rule of thumb, but this guy was reloading for a bigger bore. I can't remember the cartridge that Chad was telling us. I think it was us. a 338 Lapua. For some reason, that's what I was thinking too. And the guy messed up, put Varget in, okay? And I'll, and I'll explain this. Varget is a, is a pretty quick burn in powder. It's, at the, it's not at the top of the burn rate, but it's, it's up there. It's not for Magnums. Not for No, exactly. Magnums. You got Magnums down here, like, like N570 or Rotumbo or H1000, and then you have Varget way up here. And there's 30, I don't even know, look at the chart, 100 different burn powders for burn, burn rate. One's up here, one's down here. Well, this guy used Varget in there, and, and it, he sent his gun back to Chad. And uh, you, you can imagine what some of these gunsmiths are seeing. Just, I mean, you could imagine the nightmare horror stories that are happening. I've heard some, seen some, like I've explained. But it ended up, he didn't know, what, what I can't even remember what he said. He said it wouldn't chamber or something happened. It split. It split the chamber. I think it split, or split the, 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 right the, where the thread is. Where your barrel threads into your action, I think it split right and there. It, it split the action. Yeah, the it action. split the action. And Chad is like, "What in the hell did you?" And the that's what they were figuring. I mean, there's just little things like that. You you do a double charge, which would be you know you you if you're not paying attention, usually have you know your your brass that you're gonna charge here upside down, or then the ones that you have powder in are right side up. You know, doing a double charge, putting two charge in one case. That could be devastating, that, man. You've got to pay attention. Really easily. But if as a generally, if you're using the right kind of powder for what your application is, you're gonna overfill your case. And you should see that. That's something that you should know. And a lot of times, like my the first time I really started reloading, I used Varget in a two twenty three and the charge was like a compressed load. So you're the, the Varget was literally up to the top of the case neck and I was crushing powder and I'm like, uh this isn't right, but it was, you know, there's certain, there's certain loads that are compressed with the powder that are, that, that seems sketchy, but, but really they're not. But just, just like I said, guys, first things first, <clears throat> pay attention, safety first. And, and just from personal stories, just be safe about it. Pay attention. It's an awesome, it's a fun hobby. There's massive benefits to reloading, but like everything, 
it just takes time and, and a little bit of, uh, attention, a lot of bit of attention, a little bit of money, a lot of bit of money. And that's what the next thing is investment. All right. Reloading is an investment. And I've got some really dumb stuff that is a lot of money to a lot of people that will never justify the costs. What I'm saying is by the time you divide that piece of equipment that I've bought to each round that it loads, it's not going to ever save me any money as compared to buying factory ammo, right? I just bought a Gerard yeah. case trimmer, 800, 850 bucks. That'll never be justified, but never pay me back. So nice. You, it's, it's time. Your time is money. I would rather bzz, 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 done. What it does is it trims the cases, it chamfered to burzum all in one shot. And I am done. It's, it's amazing. It's fast. It's clean. And it saves how much time? Yeah. You can do 10 times what you could do on your RCBS case trimmer. Exactly. And it's 10 times more. Well, not 10 times, but it's three, four times more expensive. But like I said, you have to be able to justify this. Um, it's you, more precise too. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you're getting an uh, accuracy factor out of it, whether, I mean, that's something most people think about or not. It's there. And, and reloading is all about consistency and repeatability. It's, it's like, just like everything, man, that you want to try to do the same thing over and over and over, whether it's the same overall length of your case trimming, whether it's the exact down to the, to the kernel of reloading powder to where it's the exact weight of each bullet to where it's the overall length of the cartridge from the tip of the bullet to the, to the case head, all of that, the more concentric, the more precise, the more repeatable that you are with your, your reloading the better results you're going to have. Just like, just like shooting a bow and arrow. I mean, you, you want to do the same thing you want to draw. And I'm not an archer, you know, but uh, did some shooting. My kids do. I try to tell them you want to do the, hold the string in the same spot. You want to have the same release point. You want to squeeze your, yeah, every single thing has to be the same. And that's what your goal is for reloading. And that's why being a reloader is such a benefit because um, and we'll go into this further down the road here on this podcast too. It's just a huge asset to be able to basically tweak and cater to your rifles. You can make them shoot better, period. Yep. Even like when uh, dad had that factory Remington 700 22250, it, it would shoot uh, two-minute groups with factory ammo. But oh, sometimes even better. But when you started reloading for that, that sucked them right in down to half an inch. I mean, without really very much effort. Yeah, it didn't take a whole lot. Whether And, and I don't even know what it was because I didn't pay attention. I just gassed some rounds up, seated the bullets, and it shot. Yeah, in a Whether, factory gun with a factory barrel. Yep, and it shot half minute. Easy, repeatable, just, just because we decided to reload. And like I said, reloading, you got to pay attention to the investment because, you know, we've got a Dylan Press, we've got a couple Rock Tucker Supremes, we've got a Coax, uh, a, a few Charge Masters, the Gerard, the, you know, a couple prep stations from RCBS. Uh, Keith's got a couple of those here too. And a guy doesn't need all of that. I mean, you can easily get into reloading with basically, you know, your press, your dies, your you need a scale or, or a dump. Yeah. I mean, you could get, by but you still, but you still need a scale to kind of weigh your charge yeah, you want. Yeah. And, and of course your, your, you know, your components, your, your bullet, 
your your bullet, your brass, your your primer. That's really all that you need to get into it. But you're not going to be, you know, once you really start to get elaborate about it, you're you're not really going to be happy with your with your performance. Sure, if you're reloading, you know, you want to just reload some 223 rounds for plinking at the range or some nine millimeter rounds, absolutely. But if you're looking for precision you're going to be taking in that next step and, and getting a little more detailed, not only on, on your steps, but on your equipment as well. You know, you're going to start getting into calipers. You're going to start getting into, uh, uh, match dies, you know, neck sizers or, or not, not neck sizers, a bushing sizers. And we'll, we'll touch base on all those as we go, but match primers. Exactly. Which we shoot in anything, everything. And we'll talk about primers too. But there's a lot of different, a lot of different things that we can go, that we'll go into today. It should be pretty fun, you know, for you guys, pretty informative. Hopefully we can make the video better, but there's, I've got a bunch of pages here and and forgive me if I'm kind of going off a little bit, but I'm trying to go through all the tips and then just ad lib it. I've got a lot of points written down and then we'll ad lib it. If, if, uh, if I miss something, make sure you, you know, even if I don't have it written down, make sure you say something, John, about it. Yeah, I'm kind of trying to follow along with you here. but So going to the, go, talking a little bit more about the investment, the investment aspect right nowadays, the, the bullets are getting a little bit more, I would say expensive because of the amount of science that's going into them. You know, like the higher BC rounds, Hornady's got like a, well, some companies like cutting edge bullets, uh, have a, a monolithic bullet and we'll, we'll another topic too on here but a lot of these really high bc rounds tend to get expensive there's a lot of science behind them uh, there's a lot of marketing behind them and i i think that it's pretty there's a benefit to them for sure but you have to factor all of that in because you know you look at nine millimeter you can buy really cheap nine millimeter rounds for for basically more affordable or even cheaper than what you can reload them. Honestly, you can, if you do the math on those, but like I said, if we shoot, like usually in the summer, we shoot a lot of nine millimeter rounds and it's really easy to pick up your brass, clean them, run them through a Dillon press and you're reloaded again. And if you have all that and you can afford the setup, you can save a little bit of money. But like I said, you have to factor in the cost of all your equipment. And in the end, that's for you to decide. And if you enjoy it, I just, uh, single stage reloaded a thousand rounds of nine millimeter. That took me a lot of time, but when I'm lifting and I can walk over to the press and crank some out just in between sets, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point because it is, it's a, you get a sense of satisfaction by doing it because you're, you're actually, you're, you're making something, you know, you're taking components and you're, you're making it to fit to perform better than a, a manufacturer that mass produces it. And there's a sense of satisfaction in that hundred percent. And it's enjoyable. A lot of guys do. I know when we get into the hunting season and we're really knocking out a lot of rounds, you come in and we're kind of pressed to do it. There's three of us or two of us or one of us. A guy can always be knocking rounds out, but it does get kind of tedious because we'd be rather out. We'd rather be out hunting and shooting than reloading but when you have the equipment that we've got and we're not bragging, it doesn't take long to knock out. Shoot, you and Keith knocked out 100 rounds in 10 minutes, a little bit longer than that. But simple, easy, quick. 
But, I but mean, a, as long as it took you to get the cameras ready, yeah. really. And, it, and a lot of guys are, aren't fortunate enough to be in that situation, but um, it is a, a really fun process and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fun to do. It's comfortable sitting back there. You know, it's relaxing to kind of pay attention once you get it down. And we're always learning new stuff about reloading. I mean, I'm always watching new things. There's always somebody out there that knows more than, than you do. And we, we, we would love to think that, that we're helping a lot of guys out, but don't take our word for everything, you know, do some research on it because there's probably things that we will miss. There's probably things that, that we don't touch base on that a lot of guys know a lot more about. So make sure that you, you know, do your part and research a subject that you're, you're interested in going into detail on. Um, first, usually, uh, you know, I've got cartridge selection uh, on, on a separate page, but usually what you kind of want to do is what do you shoot the most? You know, that's what you kind of want to build. Just This is just me kind of thinking. <coughs> I wouldn't, you know, if, 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 I, if I do a lot of shooting of one cartridge versus another, say I put, you know, a couple thousand rounds of 223 down every month versus 20 rounds of, you know, my hunting rifle, a regular seven millimeter, you know, a Remington mag or a 300 wind mag, whatever. I'm probably going to gear for reloading for the 223 because that's what I'm doing more trigger time with. So what you want to do is you want to get a proper cartridge selection. You want to decide what you want to go and shoot. And then you have to decide what, you know, you kind of want to uh, go into, whether I said earlier, just planking or whether it's for precision work or precision hunting, I would say even is probably a little bit more important because you're actually taking the life of something. You know, if you're shooting steel, you're getting competitive. Absolutely, those guys freaking hammer. They go into detail on everything, and there's money at stake. So people want to do the best that they can. I generally look at hunting as, you know, without talking about the ethics thing, but it's it's our duty, it's our responsibility to provide that animal with a quick, clean kill. Um, reloading goes hand in hand with that. Make sure you know how everything's shooting. And that's kind of how I, I gear what I do for reloading. What is my application? What are you doing? And that depend, and that'll all follow back and say, hey, you know, how much money do you want to spend on your setup? If you do a lot of shooting, absolutely, you're going to probably spend a little bit more than somebody that just yep. wants to gas up 50 rounds for all year long for their hunting rifle. Yeah, you won't have a problem dropping 800 bucks on a decked out Dillon versus spending 100 bucks on a Lee press that exactly. you can get your stuff done with. Yep. And then once you figure out kind of your cartridge, then you, you go to bullet selection and, and there's some guys that asked this on, on Instagram and I'm not going to get to everybody's questions guys, but I'll, I'll get to a few of them once we get to the end here. But usually what I look at is, is bullet selection next. Okay. Because what, that's the same thing. Um, the bullet selection to us is geared specifically for our application, just like the cartridge. Okay. So for us, for example, coyote hunting. Our application is to be able to quickly, cleanly, precisely cause mass devastation to that hydrostatic shock. We want to render that animal incapacitated. We want to kill him dead right now. Lock, smiley, tip over, done. 
a lot of times that doesn't happen with the, with a certain shot. You know, sometimes you got to take a shot that's a little bit further back, more like archery style, uh, double long or heart shot. And you still want to have that quick, clean kill. With emphasis on clean. And emphasis on, for us, preservation of fur. That's, that's what I mean by clean. You don't want to explode something. And, and, and here's the thing. Shot placement is key. 100%. I mean, you can, if you have a gun that shoots, here's a really good explanation, so I don't really get too far off topic here, but, and then, and then remind me to go back into bullet selection right. for what we're doing. But the way that I look at it, guys, is this. So you have a factory rifle with factory ammo that 90% of the coyote hunters or 90% of the deer hunters or elk hunters shoot. I'd say probably more than that. 90% of guys probably don't reload that go hunting. There's so many people that, you know, we're in, a, we're in an industry here where we're talking with guys that use custom rifles all the time. That's all they own. That All they do is reload. And it seems like it's a lot bigger uh, family of guys here, tribe of guys here that do what we do. But but really, in the overall scheme of things, it's not. So the way that I look at it, and, and there's we get tons of questions on YouTube. Well, why do you reload? You know, why do you have to have a 5,000, blah, blah, blah? Well, if you break it down, and the easiest way for me to explain it to guys is there's been times where if I sit down and I'm seated, I'm not making a prone shot, all right? I'm making a seated shot, which is half as steady as a prone shot, usually. And it might be more or might be less than half as steady. But anyway, it's not as steady. You have factory gun, you have factory ammo, and you're your crosshairs are wobbling a little bit. You know, you're trying to make that shot on your wobble. You take a breath, boom, your heart beats. You try to make a shot between. That gun might be, let's, let's give it, let's give it, let's give it the benefit of that. That gun's an MOA gun. Factory rifle, factory ammo. MOA gun. Shoots one inch groups at 100 yards. For you guys that don't know, one inch groups at 100 yards. So at 200 yards, what's that? That's two inch groups. At 300 yards, three inch groups, 400, so on. Say I wobble just a little bit and I squeeze that trigger when I'm an inch high. Well, that one inch group, that one inch kill shot just turned to two inch, if not a little bit more. 200 yards, that two inch just turned to four. That's the difference between a vital shot and a wounding shot or a wounding shot versus a missing shot. Now you break that down and you want to spend the money and you want to get a custom rifle like the cool guys, blah, 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 and you want to reload and you want to get that gun shooting not a three-quarter, not an inch, not a three-quarter inch, not a half an inch, but maybe maybe you can sucker down and get a quarter inch. Now, that's four times better, four times more precise in that situation where you're trying to make that shot. Your crosshairs are floating. It's a 200-yard shot. Well, you're off, by, you're off by an MOA. Well, what's an MOA turn into at a quarter-inch group at 200 yards? Half an inch. What's it, and it just, I mean, you, it's, it just, it turns a, a legit miss in certain situations to a vital shot, to maybe even a wounding shot that you can recover the animal and, and kill it. Of course, it's, it's your, you know, it's, it's your judgment and it's your responsibility to make a precision shot. But the way that I look at it is if, if for some reason I miss, I don't want to second guess my equipment. And we're to the point with what we use. If we miss, guess what? We go back to the drawing board and we lay prone and each of us shoot 50. You know, whoever misses shoots 50 rounds and figure out, hey, what the hell happened? Oh, well, I just pulled it. It wasn't the equipment. We over gear. 
we, we do use quite a bit of money. We, we pay attention to detail on reloading so that our systems are much more capable, way more capable than we'll ever be. Yeah, and that's 99.9% of the time that's the case is someone screwed up. I mean, we have had cases where your can was loose. It w- wiggled loose on in your pack or something like that happened, but almost every single time the person screwed up, not the equipment. And that's just how I look at it, guys. You know, that's an easy way for me to explain. If you can t- even, even don't even say that our guns shoot a quarter inch, say they're a half an inch, that's still twice as good as an MOA rifle. You know, that's, that's taking a lot of guesswork out. Yeah, I see guys on TV, you know, before they go hunting, what do they do? They, they put a water bottle out there that's about as big as this, and they set it up there at 75 yards, and they shoot it, and they're like, oh, we're good. Fine, man. If you, if, you, if you can trust that, if you think that is responsible on your end, I'm not going to bitch about it. That's just not us. Okay, we break things down, and we go into specific details so that we can help you guys out and give you guys information. And to me, that is just, you know, like I said, I'm not going to badmouth them. That's just not us. That might be their way of doing it, but that's not how I think. That's not our mindset. It's, it's just like everything else. There's that point of diminishing return. How much do you want to pay to get that extra half-inch group or extra quarter-inch group? And so going back to the, to the bullet selection, okay, bullet selection is geared specifically for us regarding predator hunting is the animal has something of value to us, right? And, it's in, and we can go into detail later on on different podcasts on how that animal may be encroaching it might be devastating to to livestock producers in certain ways for us you know it it does happen it has happened but it's not to the point where you actually need to have some kind of depredation on that animal or mass killing on that animal because of the, the the depredation that they're causing I should say but I look at it as as a harvest you know we can harvest what that animal has to offer and that's their fur so usually we hunt them when their first prime, when the days start to get short, when the days get cool, uh, as early as October and as late as March, you know, and there's been fur holding really good, even further into end, end of March that has been really good. It's just, you know, when they start having pups and, and pairing up before that, it's, we just kind of like to chill out a little bit, but we gear our bullet selection. It's the same thing for us as it is for you guys that shoot elk or you guys that shoot antelope or you guys that are deer hunters. Um, a lot of guys are bone hunters. They want to shoot big deer. They want to shoot big elk. But there's a lot of guys out there that are just there to harvest the meat for their freezer. And I look at a coyote as the same way as that. We harvest their fur. So we gear the bullet selection around that. We don't want a bullet that's over aggressive. It causes catastrophic damage. Uh, we're looking for a bullet that that renders them, you know, like I said, that causes hydrostatic shock, that has awesome terminal performance, tips them over, they don't run, and we don't have to, especially for camera. You know, there's probably a few triples that we've got this year where instead of making a, a precise shoulder shot that might lock them up and tip them over on camera, I don't want to say it was a rust shot, but it was... Uh, a natural shot for me you know my 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 natural point of aim on a coyote isn't in the shoulder it's right behind the shoulder in the vitals and a lot of times they spin they run and you'll see it on a lot of our videos we don't you know it's a it's a clean quick kill shot but um a lot of times those shots 
are are uh, they they don't they don't have any catastrophic damage to the fur, and that's what we're after. So with the bullet selection that we gear our predator hunting rifles for, that's kind of what we look at. I mean, we've used a lot of different everything from from longer range bullets like the 69 grain sierra match kings those are i mean you could take those out to a thousand if you want to down to like the 60 grain raptors that are a machined monolithic round which that means it's it's literally a machined monolithic solid bullet that's made with the machine with the cnc swiss cnc machine all the way down to like you know your lighter hornady v maxes and we've seen results on on a lot of different bullets but um there's nothing really a bad again about one bullet versus another i personally think that once again shot placement is key okay i mean if you have if you have the most devastating the most aggressive the most uh the most catastrophic bullet that just i mean hits something and just blows up if you shoot them in the right spot, it, it, it probably won't. Chances of it still doing it are there. There are a higher probability, I should say. But there's a lot of times we'll actually take headshots with those kind of car, with those kind of bullets. In, in a lot of situations, it, it seems like it doesn't matter what kind of bullet you're shooting. If there's a coyote sitting on his ass looking at you and you throat punch him and it goes out the back of his neck, you're going to ruin something. And, and in a lot of times, if you know that, you drop down, you know, to their or to their go, brisket, or you go up to their forehead. Exactly, and that's just something that you kind of learn. You know, like, hey, you know, that's an awful white coyote. We don't want to wreck it, so we'll take a headshot if the opportunity presents itself. But but bullet selection is really key for us, and we're always out there trying new stuff. We've had awesome luck with a lot of different bullet manufacturers, and um, there's a couple questions on it, I think. So I'll make sure and kind of touch base on that when we get to the end. But <coughs> excuse me, a couple guys, or sorry. A couple things that guys have asked us that a lot of people don't understand is you have to gear your bullet selection for the twist of your rifle, okay? And there's a lot of people that don't understand that either, and I'm sure you'll probably hear us talk about that in a couple video reviews or maybe even more podcasts down the road. But once again, the general rule of thumb, the slower twist is for a lighter bullet. You have to have a little bit quicker twist, to stabilize a longer, heavier bullet. And in order to, to for guys to, to understand that or make that work, a lot of times with a factory rifle, you're really limited in your car in your bullet selection. Not your cartridge, but your bullet selection. Say for let's go for example, 22250. Most factory, most factory 22250s are are uh, one in 14 twist. Some one in 12, but traditional one in 14. Okay. That's just because because of the bullet, it's all about shooting a small bullet fast. So when you want to do something different, like we are, then then you have to do something different with the barrel twist. Which is why we, I mean, we design the rifles, and then we design we design the rifles with our application in mind, and then we follow up with a bullet design. You know, we follow up, and I don't mean we design the bullet. We design the cartridge. We design. We we fabricate the load to cater to that weapon system. Where guys that buy, you know, they go, oh, what, what, you know, what can I shoot with this gun? You got to know the details of that rifle first. Guys that get in, get a one in fourteen, over the counter at Shields or Cabela's, more than likely aren't going to be able to shoot the projectiles that we're shooting. 
you know, even if, for example, like the monolithic rounds, the 60 grain Raptors, well, those, they might be light enough for some guys that run a 14, but they're long because they have to compensate that weight somewhere. They have to, they have to add that weight in somewhere. So they increase the overall length of that bullet. So a 60 grain monolithic copper solid is actually longer than like a seven, a 69 grain Sierra match King. So you have to pay attention to certain things like that. There's a lot of guys that get bullets and like, well, it won't shoot my gun. Well, what's your twist rate? That's why what we do on our 2250s, most of them are eight twist because what we found is an eight twist will shoot the lighter bullets just as efficiently or just as, I shouldn't say that, just as precisely as it does the heavies. As long as you pay attention to your velocity, there's guys like, there's a lot of guys that are like, oh man, you're shooting it too fast. You're, you're increasing the revolution per minute too much because you're fast twist. You're going to blow your bullets up. Sure, man, on certain things, you probably will. I've never seen it with our guns, with what we've built. I've ran 40 grainers. Not in, I, I mean, I've shot them. I've never used them because I, I like a little bit heavier, but we consistently use 50 grain VMAXs all the way up to 75 grain uh, AMAXs from Hornady in the 224 caliber. And everything in between, 69 grain Sierra Match Kings, uh, um, some flat base bullets around that a custom guy made for us, uh, the 60 grain cutting edge bullets, and a lot of different bullets in between there in that range with that bullet, with that uh, barrel twist seemed to shoot really good for us. So that's, I like I said, guys, we're getting into crazy detail here on stuff that probably should go over on another podcast, but this all is... Um, this all, this all relates, directly relates to reloading. You have to know what you want to get into. You have to know what your system is. You, well, of course, you want to know what it's going to be capable of, but it can't be capable of something that it'll never do if you don't pay attention to what the specs are on it, what the mods are on it. Yeah, the whole, the whole point of us reloading is for accuracy, and to get that accuracy, you have to nitpick those little details. Yeah, exactly, and that's what we like doing is nitpicking the details you know so we go into the bullets like i said we've got solids like the monolithic uh machined bullets i have shot those out of uh the norma too like some 220 277 grain lasers that cutting edge bullets makes uh, there's some claim on those about um on all monolithics that there's not as there's like there's no run out that's what Be- they use that's what everybody in the king of two miles exactly was shooting, or most of them most all of them do or most of the guys that actually win or in the top places is used and what the kind of the claim to that is is the concentricity of the bullet there's there's no run out and what i mean by run out is lopsidedness you know a lot of times guys will say well copper jacketed lead it might be the copper jacket on the lead might be a little bit thicker on one side versus the other side might be a little thinner and you get a little bit of wobble at close range it might won't matter at all but as it progresses you know you get mid to long range you can start to see inefficiency in flying and which is where like the monolithics there's none of that run out it's machined to tolerance and it's a it's a torpedo you know there's no wobble there's no they get they're to, to me in my opinion they're a little bit tougher to make shoot but um if you can get them to shoot they shoot and then you got like the 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 match grade bullets like your 69 green sierra match kings your A tips, your burgers, your VLDs. Exactly, burgers are good. Your VLDs are very you know, all of those for long range steel shooting, and then more along the lines, you're like you're highly frangible, nasty, catastrophic. Just go in an inch and just poof, cause massive 
wound channels, like your V-Maxes. You got a couple, a few different kinds of bullets there that you can kind of, and, and all of our rifles basically shoot them. That's how we design them. So you have a wide variety of bullet selection. So if we want to, you know, take our 22-250s or 22 Creedmoors and, and run a match with them, which I won't do, I never have, maybe, you never know, I might, you could. You could you could put a higher BC round in that, buck the wind, do some long-range shooting with it versus... Guys are starting to do that. Yeah, like exactly. 22 Creedmoors shooting like an 80-grain bullet or bigger. It's kind of crazy. Yep, exactly. And... uh BC ballistic coefficient, you know that that plays into it. A lot of guys might not know what that is. That's it's a general rule of thumb. That's the efficiency of what the bullet fly. That's the efficiency of a bullet in the air. You know, you have you have like the secant ogive versus the tangent ogive, and we'll probably do that on reloading. Where the the, the secant ogive is more like the VLDs, where it's like a a, a sharper, more abrupt, a, a little bit sloper, a little skinnier design where you have your tangent is more like a Sierra match King. That's like a, it's more of a rounded nose. doesn't fly as good in the air, but a lot of times it's, it's really easy to reload for the VLDs like to be seated up in or seated back quite a ways before you can get a little more finicky. They're kind of seem to either want jump or want jam. And those other ones just freaking kind of seem to work. You just seat them. Yep. Seat them and go. Yep. Or you can go with like a hybrid or yeah, a hybrid. That's what I'm using, the OTMs and the 338. It's a hybrid, and they shoot awful good. You got flat bases, too. You know, we've got some flat base bullets that we use in our 22. They, they say they'll shoot awful good, too. But you get the boat tail. That's another thing. We should probably The boat tail is kind of a recess at the back of the bullet, and that is to basically decrease drag as well. If you watch, if you ever, you, you can Google all that stuff, guys. You know, I'm not going to go into detail and try to sound like I know everything on that but it's it increases the ballistic coefficient of the round it makes it fly through the air better and that's what all these designs are to do and that's a question too you know we'll go into detail on it. a fella asked us a question on that too and i'll kind of touch base on that um coyotes we don't just shoot coyotes guys we have uh um we some of the I, i've got a bunch written down here just so i don't kind of forget it but some of the experience that we've got with the bullets you know um, 275, 277. Let's go, let's start low, you know, 20, 224 calibers. I've mentioned a bunch of those already that we've used. Uh, six millimeter, we've ran monolithics in the 243. You, I don't know what you're shooting in your 6XC. I shoot DTACs, and those seem to work really good. That uh, rebated boat tail is it. I don't know much about it, but David Tubb likes it, and he's freaking a good enough shooter that. I like it too. And that's how we pay attention to guys like that, that know way more than what we do that you can save a lot. There's a lot of stuff out there that guys will try to sell you. But when you get somebody that's legit like that, never met him, done a lot of reading on what he does. And when they can shoot that good and their equipment performs like that, you tend to listen to them. We've shot the 6.5. You know, I I love the 260. Awesome cartridge. Uh, We use a lot of, we shoot a lot of 139 uh, Lapua hollow point boat tails out of that a lot of them because it's there i mean i've shot coyotes with it It, that's just a round that goes in and out doesn't cause any damage but we've had i mean you could shoot a coyote in the vitals with that and they'll run 50 yards they'll run 100 yards we don't really i mean i've shot deer with it antelope with it awesome results but it's more of a steel kind of a target round not really a big game round but like i said guys shot placement we do a lot of shooting with that um the new ELDXs, one with the 143s. What else are we shooting with those? 
six PRCs, 6.5 PRCs. Yeah. yeah 143 LDXs. It, uh, there's, they have another one too. Not the AMAX. Or the ELDMs? No, I thought I had. I'd have to look. Anyway, th- then 7 millimeter, 168 grain AMAX. I don't know what else you shot with that. Joe shot like some 185. You had some Sierra Match Kings or some Sierras, I think, in a, in a 284. I shot count. those out of my 257. Okay. That's what I shot them SMKs out of. That's right. That's right. 308. I, I pretty much for my 308, all I use is 175 SMKs. I got thousands of rounds of those. Just a, just a solid, easy to load for bullet. Yeah, I've got a lot of AR platforms in the 308 and I've kind of got a fetish for that. But then up to the 338, like I said, we've ran 275s, 277 lasers that are monolithics. And my, my current go-to in my 338 norm is the 300 OTMs the burger OTMs. Um, awesome, awesome shooting gun. In those rounds, they shoot really, really well. But we do have a lot of experience with a lot of different – 9mm, we do a lot of hand loan for 9mm. 115s, 147s. Everything from berries, cheapies to Hornady's. To the good, expensive Hornady, like home defense stuff, and highly the frangible. XTPs, yep. 45 ACP, 250. 40 grain is what they are, I think. Or them, what are they like? Like 160 from Cutting Edge. Those, but those are, are those are preloaded though. Yeah. I, those are those are those are fully loaded. You can buy. We have some that aren't though. I think. Yeah, we could look, gas them, them up. Yep. So we do. You know, like I said, a lot of different reloading and a lot of different platforms. Um, and and here's the thing. Uh, we've taken deer. I mean, quite a few deer. Uh, a few antelope. Probably should shoot more antelope, get a, a, a tag every year, but love eating antelope and elk, man. That's something that we are just in a really unique situation for, and we have an awesome opportunity to uh, really see what kind of damage occurs with different calibers and different bullet selection. And we'll probably won't go into, yeah, we should go into detail on that elk, man. Uh, there's guys, there's a big argument out there and this all is relevant to reloading too. you know, sectional density. They're saying, oh, these lighter, smaller th- diameter bullets are just as effective on a big game animal as your bigger blunt. Because, you know, you think of a needle just piercing a needle. You can just stick it through with ease where you got a big old 30 cal. It's like hitting it with a fist and it just hits and stops. Well, I mean, there, it's a touchy subject, but when, when guys come out here, in last year, what we killed 30 elk. And when I mean we, we directly handled 30 elk hunters. The first thing that I, in the year before that, it was mid to upper 20s. The year before that, it was mid to upper 20s. The year before that, so we're, we're getting it. My goal is in the next couple of years is to get 500 elk down. And, and, and we get a lot of experience with that, not only with cutlery, cutting these elk up and processes them, processing them for guys, but. Um, hey, what caliber are you shooting? Exactly. Hey, what that's, bullet are you shooting? That's hey. the first question that I ask guys is what what's your bullet selection because there's guys man that bring a six millimeter and i'm like that's if you're gonna shoot a six if you're gonna shoot any a 240 i want to see you shoot a group you're gonna shoot a group at 100 yards and i'm gonna watch you do it and they better be freaking all within my pinky because you're gonna shoot the bastard in the eye and and and, you know a lot of guys are gonna get give us hate for that but here's the deal we're in a situation where this isn't a wide open spot where these elk are they're coming out of the edge of 200 bushel corn and I don't want to find them with a combine header. I don't want to find that dead elk out there in the middle of 200 bushel corn with the 12 row header that dicks my machine up, our machine. I, that, that isn't going to happen because guess who pays for it? Us. Because you didn't use a, call, a gun that you know how to use and you didn't use caliber selection that you should have. 
And even before that happens, then that we're out there freaking running through a cornfield all night with flashlights and dogs and we've and done thermals it and we've and done drones it and everything else trying to find someone screw up because they couldn't shoot a capable caliber with a capable rifle. And and we've done it 100%. We have done it. We have literally had to take a thermal drone up and find dead elk because it, it, it is what it is. But when you have when you cater to as many hunters as we do, you can eliminate a lot of variables by using a cartridge that's designed to not only penetrate, but if it hits a rib, it'll break that rib and go through it, not bounce off of it. And, and, and there's so much hate online guys that, Oh, I want to use a lighter, smaller, less recoil dude, man up, man, man up and get a cartridge, get a caliber, a bullet selection. That's going to have enough energy, enough foot pounds that will, when it hits a rib, because you can't see the freaking gaps between the ribs, that will go through, break bone, and do what it needs to do. And that's where, like I said, we're seeing that stuff. It was like, oh, how many elk do you guys shoot a year? Freaking more than you. Probably guarantee it. We have taken just as many guys out to kill elk on an annual basis than probably just as many guys have in the United States. When you kill 30 of them, 20 of them, upper 20s in the past four years all within a 10 mile radius then you know you get to see some pretty cool stuff and it's not like i said we're not bragging it's just it's a touchy subject and it gets us fired up because we can tell you hey dude bring a caliber that's going to work i don't care if it hurts your shoulder i don't care if you have a flinch what i'm going to do this year what i was going to do last year is i'm i'm making if guys don't want to use proper bullets proper cartridge and bullet selection they're going to run or walk a mile non-stop come back prone out and shoot a five shot group. And if they don't shoot within an MOA at a hundred within, within a minute of walking back and proning out, then guess what? You, you're, you're not, you're not hunting here. There is an argument to be made for saving some meat, but that's, there's still, it, you're getting you're 350 yeah. pounds of meat on one of these elk here. Yeah. And if they're worried about shooting one in the shoulder, you I mean, shoot them in the head and we've had guys anyway, so that's something, you know, that, that we kind of make sure and pay attention to. It's just something that goes along with, with reloading or even buying factory ammo. We make guys shoot, and that's something. If you're going to be doing this a lot, man, I really appreciate seeing guys that reload and have when they pull out a Gunworks or they pull out of LRI or they pull out a custom TS Customs or, or any kind of custom rifle. Even for that. having a nice scope. Exactly. Somebody that pulls out a, a factory, a good factory, seven, eight hundred dollar rifle with a two to three thousand dollar optic, I'm like, all right. I, I I honestly take a deep sigh of relief and I'm like, oh man, wow, this guy knows. This guy knows. Yeah. Because it's not you. When you lose that animal and it turns around and runs back into that corn, it's us that has to worry about it. And it's not just, you know, that that goes, it's just a force multiplier from it's just a force multiplier for our situation. Instead of worrying about just making a precise, clean kill with that animal, you have to worry about, all right, dude, it's going into a forest of corn. Now now the ranch has to run. Now, you know, you dick up a $20,000 header. or It's happened. 100% it's happened. I could show you pictures. Yep. So that's just something that we pay attention to. When somebody comes in and they reload, and, and I, like I said, I ask guys to shoot, and a lot of guys are real hesitant to even shoot. Like, well, you know, it shoots good. When was the last time you shot it? Last year during hunt season, it was shooting good. I'm like, all right, dude. Yeah. 
hundred percent. We get. I could tell you guys stories, man. Stories, stories upon stories, and it's calm. It's really. It's cool though because it's amusing, and you get to meet new guys, and you have stories to tell. And we won't name any names, but there's been every year, man. It's just crazy. There's always one guy. There's always one that's worse than the rest. Significantly, yes, significantly worse. So that's where we go. We got that with the with um. You know, we're, we're going to probably do a podcast on knives, too. John's a knife guru, and we smoke elk with knives, man. We cut, we get them bitches loaded, hung, gutted, loaded, hung up, and completely processed. If it's within probably a mile of the house, I bet it takes us an hour. We're going to time it this year and hopefully not cut ourselves. Yeah. But, um, it's, you know, it, like I said, the number of elk, that's a lot of experience. The coyotes, you know, we go out and we kill... Uh, a lot of coyotes every year, at least a hundred. And, and that really allows us in, in film. And, you know, if we drop the film equipment, blah, 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 you've heard me say it before, we could significantly increase those numbers, but we, that's not something that we really enjoy doing. It is, don't get me wrong, but I, I really enjoy film and showing you guys the cinematography and, and by taking that quantity of animals, especially elk and coyotes. I mean, we're by the time coyote season rolls around, and we're done skinning elk and process a coyote's like stepping on a rabbit and ripping the hide off. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I'm just like, we're done with that, but it allows us to give you guys proper insight based on a high amount of numbers that are taken. Um, and, and it's, it's pretty cool. So I hope you guys kind of, you know, if you have questions, ask us, it's, it's, we're in a unique situation and we really enjoy giving you guys insight on it. So once you look at the, the kind of the cartridge selection geared for what you want, the bullet selection geared for what you want, um, you, you kind of want to, I break everything down even quite a, dude, we're at 54 minutes. I, and we're not even, <laughs> we're, not, we're on the second page out of what, like 10. Yeah. Yeah, that's just how elaborate we get into reloading. Um, so then you got to even look at like your barrel life, okay, performance. Uh, because if you shoot a lot, you got to pay attention to, you know, your velocity, how much powder you're burning down your barrel, how much throat you're going to be burning up eventually after. I mean, my coyote gun, or I should say uh, the, like the 260, that's an awesome deer gun. That's an awesome antelope gun. It's a little iffy on deer, on elk, sorry. But that gun, I will break that out as often as I can and just shoot it. And that's something where you have to pay attention because there's been cases with me. I've shot probably four 260 barrels out, I would say. And when I mean I don't shoot them out, I get that throat burned out. And it takes a couple thousand rounds to do it on a 260, if not more. And you're, you're, you start chasing the land. You start seating your bullet out a little bit further, a little bit further because you, you find that happy place where your, where your ogive is really close to the throat or in it. Usually I don't do that, but you have to keep chasing the lands to maintain your precision. And, and usually what I do, once that's out far enough, I just scrap it. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to, a lot of guys will cut the barrel off. They'll cut the chamber off and have it rechambered and completely redone. But you might only get another three or 400, 500 rounds out of it. To me, that's not worth it. No. I pull the barrel, put a new one on. Yep. So there's a lot of different things you got to look at. You know, barrel life. What kind of, what, what's your loads going to be like? If you're, if you're going to shoot hot, fast loads, you got to make sure, all right, you know, with this going in, making sure I pay attention to it, I'm going to be rebarreling this thing once or twice every year. Certain things like that. Um, we should probably talk about brass. Brass is something that's, uh, you want to, you want to, when you get into reloading, you want to have a, a, one lot of brass 
you want to have one kind, whether it's Winchester, Remington, we use a lot of higher end brass, which is like, I use a lot of Lapua and Norma brass for Norma brass for the PR or Norma brass for the 260, Lapua brass for the 250s and 260, Lapua brass for my 338. What do you use? I got some Nosler brass. That's good brass. Nosler, I think is Norma brass pretty much. Just rebranded. I don't know if it is. It might be this. I might be wrong. I don't want to say it's the same, but I want to say the same company might who I makes, might be wrong. Who makes Gunworks Brass? I know it's, you shoot that out of the PRC. I should that know. That nice. I've got it written down. I've got it on my phone. It's like, I'll, I'll look if you do some talking. I'll look and find out. I know that. I, I looked through some of that brass, and it was pretty good. Yeah. But um, anyway, so what you do, the reason that you, a lot of guys are like, well, man, I'm not going to pay a dollar over a dollar a piece of brass. Well, It's it, an investment. You get, if you pay over a dollar a piece, I mean, I've, I've shot Remington Brass, and... I've had it go out in my 260 after three, four firings. Your primer, primer pocket, you start yep. priming it and the primer falls out. Or split necks. Yep. I got, then I scrapped all that, bought normal brass. I think I'm on like my 12th yeah, firing. Exactly. They're I, still good. I figure 10 to 15 for, for good high quality brass. It's annealed from the factory. And if you anneal it, which I don't anneal it, I don't have an annealer, probably should do it. But you, you Tub get. doesn't. What's that? Tub doesn't. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it just, it's personal preference if you want to take the time and do it and get more firings. Because what happens is you work that brass when you resize it, and we'll go into detail on that. But, you know, I figured 10 to 15 firings for high-quality brass. And, and I, I, I've got less than that. Trust me. I've, yeah. I've loaded them hot and freaking blown the webbing a little bit more and primer pockets loosened up quite a bit. But usually, general rule of thumb, I mean, if you pay that extra dollar, you're getting that money back, if not more. But caliber depends on how many firings too. If you're shooting something like a 22 Creedmoor where you're jacking that pressure up versus like a 308, shit, you might be able to get 20 firings out of a 308. Oh yeah, or oh more. yeah, it, 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 exactly. So there's that to look at for the, you know, for the brass. You want to make sure and pay. And we'll, we'll talk about the what happens to brass a little bit once we get further down. Primers. There were some guys asking me about primers. Uh, like John said earlier on, you know, match primers. That's really what we use. Federal gold medal match 210s. I got into those 15 years ago when they're just a really, really consistent primer. And they're 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 tough to find, which I think we've got. I, I About 15 years ago, I bought 10,000 when lock, stock, and barrel was open. Keith and I just bought a whole bunch from Shields last year. I think we've probably got close to seven or 8,000 federal gold medal matches. And then for my Norma, I'll use like gold metal match 215s, Magnums. the Magnum primers. And and here's the thing you do. I see a lot of difference in primers. I've seen, I've used 215s in my Norma and 210s in my Norma and have the 210s go. Yep. I switched over when I, uh, in just what, a couple months ago in the last year when uh, 210s got hard to find, I switched over to the CCI. BR2s. The, yeah, the BR2s. Those are good. The, BR- the only thing that I've noticed is I had to seat them in a little deeper. Otherwise, one out of 100, I'd get a light primer strike. That's, see, that's something to write down and pay attention to because if that's consistent, if that happens consistently, then that's something that a guy needs to know. That's and, good and it info. it was consistent because at all the research and all the looking that I've done was uh, – my primers weren't seated in all the way. And when my firing pin hit it, it finished seating it. And every time I'd lift my bolt, shoot my second shot, it'd go off. Huh. In primers, you got to pay attention. I've got a bunch of CCI BR2s too. But you got to, you know, you got, you got small rifle primers. You got larger. It's small rifle primers, 223, 
204. Small magnums, everything. You got large, yep, exactly. You got large rifle primers, 22250, 260, 308, etc. You go the magnums, which is like your 338s. Well, that's it. That's just that's just that's just the same. That's we're just talking different different primers, different categories. Then you got your small pistols, you got your large pistols, kind of general of thumb. And we could break all this down, but man, we got so much stuff to go over. Powder, we got to talk about powder selection. That's an important one too. That's going to be a long important one. Um, usually for us, not usually, we use a lot of uh. We use a lot of Varget and a lot of H4350, which a is a lot of Hodgden. What is it? Their, their extreme line or exactly. something like that. That's really temperature uh, resistant. Consistent. Yeah, yep. resistant. Because temp resistant, or yeah, you could say temp consistent or resistant. Yeah, it's yeah. resistant to yeah. increase and decrease Any of velocity. Yeah. And the reason is because in the summertime, you know, we, in the summertime when we're shooting range, we're out, we got the, the, the our box of ammo out, whether we're in the shade, whether we're in the sun, that, that, that powder temperature increases to, I would say, at least 75 degrees, if not more, depends on where those cartridges are sitting. I, I would have said way over that. So if you're sitting in the sun, and then 80. You'll, get, you'll get negatives easily in the winter. When or, yeah, and then the same caliber, the same gun with the same load, you don't want a freaking 130 temperature fluctuation. And, and I've got a negative 30 in, on our coldest nights hunting. You know, and that is exposure. That is getting that cold where you know, I've heard of guys where they, they don't want their point of impact to change from when they sighted in during a mild day to cold, cold night. So they'll put those rounds in their pocket. Well, we're not doing that. And we're not seeing a whole lot of variance in, in oh, don't, don't, don't kid yourself. I'm not taking a chrono when it's 30 below out and chronoing it and then chronoing it when it's a hundred degrees out. But what we're, we're not seeing a big point of impact shift in those temperature ranges. And we know what a guy should do is I, I've frozen some guns I've frozen some guns up, stuck them in the deep freeze overnight, shot them, left them sit out, shoot them, just to see, you know, if anything shifts regarding the carbon fiber barrel, the bedding, the carbon shell stock, the the load data, et cetera. And there's, there's been some, you know, there's has really been some differences. So stuff's happened. Yeah. You, you want to pay attention to that. So you know what your system's doing. And then, like we said, you know, you want to pay attention to your burn rate because we're shooting, this goes kind of back to barrel length too. We're shooting, uh, little bit, I would say, shorter than average barrels, which are uh, usually our barrels are around are 20 or under for our coyote rigs, 20 inches or under. And that's really a non-traditional length compared to the ordinary, what it used to be. It's getting more common, though. Exactly. It is 100%. Like we're a lot of a lot of barrel, a lot of barrels, a lot of guns you've seen are really cool looking short overall length platforms where we design them for the use with the suppressor. So you add that overall length, you add that ever that extra seven inches. And we want to still be able to, to be compact, to be functional for our application. So that's why we design them that way. And you also have to factor in the burn rate because you don't want to use a really slow burning powder where that, that rounds traveling down that barrel. And by the time it gets out, that powder isn't burned up. And there's been a lot of guys that are saying, well, dude, you're going that short. You're not burning all that powder up. It might be the case. As long as I get that gun to shoot how I want it to, I don't care if all that powder is getting burned up. But guys, you know, that are real particular um, comp shooters or they want to squeeze out that, that the maximum velocity out of that cartridge and they have a 24, 26-inch barrel, you know, with a muzzle brake or muzzle device on to, to mitigate manage recoil or for hunting situations, 
Absolutely. You know, they're going to pay attention to that burn rate so that they know they're getting the full performance out of that, out of all of those gases, out of all of that propellant. So there's something that you guys want to make sure, you know, like I said, fast and slow is important, especially in reloading. You want to pay attention. You don't want to put a fast burning powder in a large case. And that's why you you need, you need a a good reloading book or that's something that you really, or like I said, you need a good reloading book or you talk to somebody that you damn well know has knowledge on that subject. And you trust, I mean, 100% because if someone is giving you knowledge, I mean, you're taking that for what it's worth. I mean, and that's why you said you, you want to talk to somebody that knows somebody that, that, that does competitions, that does it consistently, that has, you know, you, if they use that powder, absolutely. If they're like, oh man, you know what? I've never used that powder. Keep going, find the next guy. You know, there's a lot of good information online, a ton from reputable sources, but always double check those sources. It, it pays. Um, like I said, you know, you and got, you, go ahead. What And what do they say? You always start 10% less. Yeah. Or it, something like that. I, for, I don't, man, person, we'll, we'll, we'll go into detail when I do the reloading video. You know, it, it, I usually, to be honest, I look at the manual and I just, I, I start somewhere in the middle, Low, lower end, lower third, I should say lower third yeah, and then kind of work up from there. But you should, you know, you just got to pay attention because be each, safe. the case capacity is different on all, on different brass that yep. you, you got different uh, tolerances in your chamber. All of that stuff has an effect on, on pressure yep. and you got to pay attention. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of things that we could go into detail on. You know, some of the powders that we've used. Uh, Even if your barrel's broken yet or not. I mean, in your first 150 rounds, you have, there's more pressure. I, I believe there's more pressure and you're getting a slower, a slower velocity. I know your velocity picks up after that 150, 200 mark. And see, that's something that I should just document. You know, there's a lot of guys out there that just shoot and shoot and shoot. And that's all their job is. They don't, they don't really go hunt. They just can, they just do tests for powder manufacturers or bullet. And that that's where you pay attention to that stuff. Um, I mean, we've used tight group CFE pistol. What else? Pistol powder H1. No, not H1000. There's an H110. H110 is a pistol. Did you say tight group? Tight group. I've used 800 X a lot. I, I, it's a big flaky powder that smells funny, but I like it. And, uh, I mean like, H1, uh, Varget, um, gosh, what else did I use? CFE 223. I've got a bu- bunch of that. I've got to test that out. That's not supposed to be temperature stable. I don't think, but, and there's a lot of guys that are just hating that said it's junk, but I really want to test it out and try it with precision, precision group. See how it works on a 308, you know, a 223. Varget's a great one, man. Varget's just such a good solid performer. So is H4350. Varget and 4350. I think everybody Go. needs that because you can do most of what you need to with that. You can reload from a 223 to a 308. And I mean, as long as you're not doing something crazy, like a large Magnum, you can probably get what you need to out of one of those two. And we've got, oh, I believe 10 to 800, 80, pounds of those. T- I mean, stacked up. I've got it, so much powder. That's just it's awesome. T- it's you get it. If you can get a good deal, buy it. It's, it's, it's really good. And, and all you guys know what we're talking about. All you, all you guys at reload know exactly what we're talking about. And then, you know, you get, like, for example, H1000 and Rotumbo for the larger Magnums. Uh, RL22. Yep, R- RL34 for the, uh, I used RL34 for, gosh, what the hell did I use RL34 for? My two, I can't remember. You tried it in your in your I don't, 338, didn't you? I think I tried 22 in it. Oh, 20, yeah, 
22 in it. That's I used RL34 for something. I can't remember. I shoot 20 RL22 out of my 7 and it's always been really good. It's I don't think it's very temperature. It, it was uh, too consistent. it was too fast for the Norma for me. It, it it was it just so like for the Norma what what my go to is Vitavori N570. That stuff it, it completely couldn't find it and I had some on back order with graphs and it I I ended up they said, "Hey man, about a year later we got 12 pounds of this." And I'm like, "All of it. I want it. I want all of it. Do you have any more?" And I think I actually got like 15 pounds of it. That stuff's supposed to be really clean burning, right? Or is it really it's, dirty? It's dirtyish. Dirty. It's, it's, I knew it was it, one way or the other. It's it, when you patch out, it's just blacker than a freaking It's it's blacker than a fireplace freaking smokestack. <laughs> but it don't matter. I mean, it shoots good and that's out of your large magnum that gets a lot less shooting so yeah. it doesn't it still only needs cleaned a couple times a year and i if i could i'd shoot the hell out of that thing but man the cost That's i mean you got those expensive. big old bullets and a lot you dumping in 90 grains of powder a pop yeah. and it's just it's one of those things where it's, it's an awesome one to shoot but really you don't even you don't take it out unless you're going over 800 yards i mean you shoot at 100 and it's stupid for over a buck around or about a buck around and that's a reloaded round without the the factored in cost of all your other equipment. I mean, geez, that's that's pricey. Yeah, that thing we call that one the the elk slayer. That gun is just a freaking sword, man. That thing is it's killed so many elk. It's just a it's just a hammer. Awesome gun. Chad built that a while ago. It's just built on dad's. Actually, it's pretty cool because dad had a a old three hundred Remington mag, long action. Yep, and we just pulled that action off because the barrel was a little joke of a pencil barrel and put a big old long Bartland. Uh, one in nine three twist and uh, and and a it good, hammers a, a good manners stockman. No, no, no. It's a it's a Terry Cross Sentinel. Cross. McMillan yeah, makes that, it. That freaking polymer Remington seven hundred stock. No, was a joke. we yeah. we tricked that thing but, out, and it's a yeah. hammer. It's not the most comfortable gun to shoot, but it it's it's freaking a good, such a good shooting gun. Can you put a PTG bolt in that too. Yep. PTG bolt, t- Chad Tig welded it on. It's it's legit. It's it's freaking hundred percent good. Oh, uh, I mean, kind of, we talked about the basics that a guy needs. You know, a uh, press, a shell holder, dies, a scale. You, like John said, you either talk to somebody that you know, or you get yourself a good uh, manual. That's probably the or now nowadays you get an app or you're not even an app. You just get go to their website like Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's got a yep. powder calculator or a reloading center, reloading data center. I think I use that a lot. It, it's really handy. Exactly, and then you know you kind of got. We'll, we'll talk about you know you need some w- with your dies reloading. Uh, you've got a few different options on that, and that's where you got to kind of pay attention to what you're doing. You got your full length sizers, your neck sizers, your bushing dies, your small base sizers, and I've learned a lot by trial and error. For example, small base sizers like ARs, we, I was getting new ammo, brand new ammo, gassing them up, having awesome groups shooting dots out of semi-automatic AR like the UMAR 2250 UMAR uh, DPMS mini SAS shooting great groups and all of a sudden you know you go and you, you resize them you just you just do a regular full length resize not overworking the when i mean overworking the brass i mean you're, you when you, every time you resize that you're working that brass you're squeezing it down that brass flows it's like water when you shoot that brass expands it's got to go somewhere in that chamber and it usually snugs up next and pushes and over time it elongates it gets longer so you have to pay attention in your manual you got to trim it you got to deburr it you got to smooth it off well, what happens too is the webbing is more towards the case head. You got the neck where you put the bullet in, and you got the head back where the webbing is, 
And what was happening is it was swelling that webbing up a little bit and I was full length sizing them, but it wasn't squeezing that webbing down. It was full length sizing them down and bumping the shoulder a little bit. But when I'd, I'd start having massive issues with my ARs, when I'd shoot the, it would stovepipe, it'd jam up. And in the middle of the winter, when we were running those, that, that does not work when you're hunting coyotes at night and you have a, a stovepipe or a jam or your, your case sticks and your bolt comes back and your case stuck and you're ripping the, the case rim off. It just doesn't work. And so I did a little bit of research, got a small base sizer. What that does is it squeezes that webbing down even more. Flawless. Little things like that. You're overworking your brass. I don't want to say over. You're, you're working your brass more. You're probably going to get less firings out of it. You're going to have to do more trimmings to it. But it makes it functional. You don't have any issues with it. And when you're shooting a semi-automatic platform, that's, that's one of those things you have to do. You, you just can't get For reliability. Yep. For reliability, exactly. And there's a lot of things we could go into ARs. You know, we'll, we'll do a podcast on ARs versus bolt guns and what we do to our ARs regarding adjustable gas blocks, PRI gas buster charge handles, all that stuff to make them run a little smoother. But then you got you like your full length sizer. That's just a traditional full length sizer die. You can set her, you can bump your shoulder back a little bit. That's usually general rule of thumb what a lot of guys use. <clears throat> you got your neck sizer and usually what a neck sizer is for like a bolt action gun where um, you shoot, you've got a good chamber and you want to try to what a lot of guys initially was like it was for precision it yeah exactly it fire forms and what that is it makes that you got i'll make sure and post a link to that 6.5 sherman short make video it takes i mean it, it takes the shape of your chamber it blows yeah. it out when you shoot and it it forms to your chamber therefore it's supposed to make it a little bit more accurate or precise where that brass is 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 basically conformed to that chamber. When you do that, you don't. There's not any of this. I'm reloading this 223, and I'm going to shoot it in all of my 223. It's exactly. It, it's, it's for that chamber gun. Chamber specific. But but what what you're finding? I mean, a lot of times that you get it. Like I always show some guys like, why is your bolt lifting so hard? I'm like, because that's what I do. I just neck size it. I can I can throw the bolt, but when I raise it, it's a little bit stiffer, and that's why because I'm not squeezing the whole cartridge. I'm not full length or sizing it, but it's it's not good to it's not good to have that situation for even for like I don't do competitions. You do more competition than I do, but in a hunting situation, it's still not good because no. you're left trying to raise it stiff, and you want to be able to run that bolt freely. You want to be able to run it and and hammer another one in without any kind of resistance and that that can be telling you something about your brass too if if you're full length resizing your brass and you know you're making it to the right dimensions and you shoot and it's still lifting hard that might not be an issue with your reloading it might not be an issue with any of your other stuff you might just have too many firings on that brass and exactly and another thing too you you got to look at your overall length of your brass too a lot of times you chamber it chambers hard you bump your shoulder and you know you're you're measuring you're measuring kind of your headspace. You're measuring from the case head to the shoulder, and it's it, it, it you're bumping it a thousand. You're bumping it two thousandths, but it still chambers hard. And your neck's growing exactly. You, you're hitting your lands, and it's kinking yep. that neck into your bullet, and it's squeezing into your bullet, and it's holding on to that increase in pre and that's bad news. So you got to yeah. make it. You got to pay attention to trimming. And like, just for example, I had that Redding die, that 260 die. You have one too, right? Your, your, yours yeah. is a Redding. Yeah, you have mine here now. You were using yeah. it. Yeah, well, I would, I'd, so what I'd do is I'd, I'd thread it down to where the bottom of my case holder, shell holder, would, would come into contact and I'd thread it down the die a little bit further so I'd cam over. Cam over, the, sh the handle would stop a little bit 
and I'd have to force it down to make it seat. And what it would, would do is it would, it would, it bump the shoulder. I'd measure it. And uh, with a comparator, with a horny comparator that goes over the shoulder and then it measures the case head up to the shoulder junction. And it showed I was bumping it, but it was still, there was still some resistance in my bolt close with an empty case, with an empty, an empty cartridge case. Yeah. And, and I mean, you might say something that that bolt closing could be your firing pin cock. Well, for people it, that don't know, but you pulled your firing pin out and you knew that it that's was, not what it, it was, was still forcing. Yeah. So I used, I'm like, well, it ain't going to make any difference. If I use yours, it's pretty much the same die. There's a difference in the die. Yours is a, I'd have to look I at the number. Mine's a full length and I think yours might be a something else. Mine's a full length. Mine's a full length, but yours has a different number on it than mine. My, I know for a fact mine's a full length too. I just bought it a couple months ago, but, but we, for whatever I, reason, I did, the, ex I did different. the exact same thing as what I did with my die and Gave it about a quarter of a turn to cam over, hammered it down, bolt just fell, fell down. Yep. Bolt with the cartridge, empty cartridge, just dropped right down. Yep. Of course, guys, you don't want to overdo that shoulder bump. I mean, you don't want to go, some guys go two thousandths. If you can go even a thousandth or under, there's a lot of guys saying, oh, well, you know, you get in a hundred situation, you start getting junk on your brass. That's not a good situation. But I mean, even even like if you were to measure a factory brass and then measure one of your that's fire formed, you could have up to ten thousandths shoulder difference. You're not going to really hurt anything by doing that, except maybe your accuracy and reduce your brass life. That's a good point. That's <laughs> that's true. I mean, you just what, like and that's what it is. You get factory brass where your shoulder is down a little bit, and we'll probably maybe draw a sketch when you do the the reloading. Because they have to make that factory ammo fit, fit. the lowest common denominator. Set like Sammy specs. We should yeah. probably go into detail on that. We'll go into that on the on the on the video though. I don't know that's about the, that. it's just it's basically it's just the specs on. Mm -hmm. you know chamberings on everything so it's within a certain yep. measurement pressure length exactly every, every like 60,000 yep exactly and that's something that guys should you you don't have to know that but when you hear guys talk about sammy specs that's the standard that's the status quo that is the standard of the unit of measurement of the pressure for cartridges that they need to be uh you can't exceed it for a certain powder charge you know you do you you can't you, you, that's why they measure it so you don't have to blow shit up yeah so the and uh what else is there we got the next sizer bushing dies bushing dies that's something you got bushing dies that you, you that what that is is you i've got a couple of those which man it, if you want to play with your neck tension if you i mean that can make a difference for accuracy if you got something that's not shooting or it's not shooting how you want to maybe play with uh some bushing dies get your neck tension set a little bit different and more consistent or whatever and you, that might fix a problem it does I, it does i've used it before I, you, there's all i mean a i've had different primers all of a sudden boom shoots good i've messed with like i've squeezed the neck like two thousandths more on neck tension got a tooth a, a, a bushing for uh gosh well i had to use them for that 6.5 sherman short mag review i've got a bushing die for my uh 260 and for the 250 yep. but you know if if the gun shoots it's just it's something where i think yep. you're better off doing a good full length size yep. so you get a free bolt and you just you're you're in those dirty conditions where you you know we unfortunately a lot of our rifles have matched chambers so you have to kind of pay attention to how you reload those matched chambers are a little bit tighter than traditional and uh you they're giving us better performance regarding precision but you have to pay attention to the performance regarding operation because if you get stuff in there, I mean, there's times where I've cleaned my barrels 
had solvent, take a patch, clean the the chamber out and had a little, you can tell a little bit of, little bit of solvent, not a lot, a little bit. You got to pay attention to that because you shoot stiff bolt lift. You look, you got ejector swipe, all of that stuff, all because you've got a little bit of fluid and your brass will flow, but that fluid, it doesn't, there's no displacement there. It's you, if you had any kind of liquid, you, you that's how you can wreck stuff pretty quick. Yep. Or, or like, uh, even back to the very beginning about paying attention, but I remember we were shooting ELDXs out of our 260s, and for whatever reason, the tip that we had on our seating die was putting a little kink in the tip of the bullet, so our O-drive was farther out than normal. And when you'd seat your round, not you, but me, when I'd seat my round, it'd jam it into the lands, and I was getting massive pressure signs. I was blowing primers, and I've never had that issue before with the same data or the same reloading data as I was before. The only difference was I, for whatever reason, my neck tension was tighter. So when I was seating that bullet, it was putting a kink in the tip and having my O-jive longer. Yeah, see, that's just stuff that you you figure out, and luckily in a good way, where it you, all right, we got pressure here. There's you something stop. going on. Yeah, and, and hopefully when you have pressure signs, it's not from blowing your gun up in your face. Yeah. So there's, I mean, uh, well, that's something. Did you talk? You didn't talk about any pressure signs. No, I right here. I'm looking at it. You got, oh, you know, you? Yeah. neck tension, shoulder bump, head space, and kneeling, um, pressure, all of that stuff. You kind of got to pay attention to. Like, like we said, we, some terms. It's not neck tension, the tightness that you know how tight your bullet, how tight your case neck on your cartridge is holding your bullet. Um, so you like you measure the outside diameter of your case neck and then you seat a bullet and you measure it again. And usually you want that to grow by about a thousandth to two thousand. That's kind of how you determine your neck tension. And you got bushings. You just got to figure that out per caliber. You know, it's 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 a pretty simple process, but we could go into that with a 250 when we reload, even though I don't use it for it. But if guys want to let us know, uh, it's kind of it's kind of, you know, it, like I said, it's kind of self-explanatory. Um Neck, what did I say? We you have neck tension, um, headspace. That's something you know a guy should pay attention to. Like I've got a, like even that drawed case trimmer, drawed case trimmer. That's uh, something you got to pay attention to. You, that's how I measure it off the headspace. You know, you you take like off a shoulders, like a datum tool. I've got a I've got a dat. You measure from the shoulder. You, you know, I'll just have to show them. It's easier for a visual, but you, you basically what you do is you got a caliper, you've got a, a, a datum, a datum line measuring tool. It measures a line anywhere. That line is just a line somewhere on the shoulder junction where the shoulder slopes from the neck down the shoulder somewhere. And it touches that and stops somewhere on that shoulder. That's your datum line. And then you take the bottom of your caliper down to the bottom of your case head primer out. So you're not hitting any kind of a primer that's sticking out consistent. Then you zero it. You basically then then what you do is you 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 shoot it or you 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 met you you shoot it and basically you keep that same measurement and it tells you how much you know you you got that it tells you how much it basically grows how much your headspace is, um, on that Gerard case trimmer it's the same thing that's what you actually use you get that measurement and that's how you set your you set your tool up so that it measures from your shoulder down to the end of the case neck and it trims off what you need. It's, it's, I mean, you get that measured, so you're not doing too much. You're not doing too little and it's consistent throughout all of them. 
So, I mean, your headspace, you, you guys can Google that and make sure that's something, that's thing where you don't want to, you, you, you don't want to over bump your shoulder because that you could, yeah. you, I've seen, I've seen, I've, I've seen it. I've never experienced it. I've seen it where the cartridge splits in two in, because not into, not into this way, but into exactly this, yeah. pulls it apart because yeah. there's so much of a gap yep. in that headspace. It just, you have two separate cylinders split apart. Yep. Exactly. I've seen yeah. that too. And it's just something, I mean, that's where you want to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Uh, and like I said, if you guys want to, we can go into more detail about that. We're just trying to get you guys filled up full of info on reloading kind of the stuff that you need, um, what to pay attention to. Like I said, the shoulder bump, a lot of times when you fire form and that fire form, uh, term is it takes that brass and molds it to your chamber. And, and I've got a legit video on that 6.5 Sherman short make where I'm taking a whole different cartridge and putting cream of wheat in the, in it. With, with a green dot, with, with a small charge, a small powder charge, and covering the end and shooting, and it just goes thump, and it blows that case up to fit the chamber. That is like a legit fire forming. The same principles like you get you get factory brass, like John said. the The shoulder, the overall length, might be is significantly shorter, but once you shoot that, it fire forms to that chamber. And if you keep those tolerances the same with that gun you reload those fired brass to that gun, you know, you can slightly bump that shoulder. And, and like I said, we can show you that process when you do the video and you just, you get, you get better precision with it. Um, annealing that's heating up your brass to a certain temperature. Basically what that does, it, g- it gives you longevity of that brass. It allows you to reload more rounds unless you do what I've done. And that's freaking getting your primer pockets loose. And, uh, it gives you more uh, neck tension consistency. That's a main one. Yep. That's actually a main one. Yeah. You get a lot better. And I, like I said, I've never messed with it. A lot of, some guys do it a lot. Of, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I've just never done it. I've, I buy a lot of Lapua brass that is already pre-fired formed. I mean, you can see the the change in color on the brass but, where all of it is. And that annealing is good for like three firings, I think. And then you're supposed to do it again. So, I mean, that annealing is doing you, uh, it is benefiting you for the first three firings. But then after that, it's kind of irrelevant. And, and there are a lot of guys, I think, I can't remember who told me, somebody said all the, I think all the gun works brass is annealed. Uh, the normal brass is annealed. I don't know if Remington, I, I don't know. I don't know if that, but some guys are saying that it was, that a lot of that stuff's in yield. So just, you know, pay attention, which three firings is really nothing. It's really nothing. If you're going to consistently anneal, then yeah, you know, it's going to give you something. But th- three firings is really, it's not a whole lot when you when you reload and you shoot a lot. Yeah, and and that that is for those guys, in, in my opinion, that's for those guys that are really chasing those quarter inch, tenth inch groups. That's... I mean, you get on the verge of bench rest yeah. shooting F class style stuff where exactly. the tactical stuff, the hunting stuff. No, but absolutely. If you want to hundred yeah. percent, you know, yeah. if, if it gives you that much more, I mean, we should, if the way that I talk about how we nitpick things apart, there's yeah. really no reason for us not to do it. Same with cleaning primer pockets. I mean, exactly. a lot of guys say there's no reason to do it, but I, the way I say it is there's no reason not to do it. It takes a second around. Yep. That's what, when you reload a hundred rounds, that's a minute and a half of your time. Yep. yep. Like exactly. And there's like certain, well, we'll go over kind of some of the tools too on like the prep stations where you've got your, everything that you need chamfer deburr, your flash hole deburr. You know, a lot of, most guys only do that once the flash holes, basically the primer 
hole on the inside of your you got the primer pocket on the outside and the hole that goes through there's a tool that you set your your cartridge on and it reams a little bit of that out that's you know i do that a lot of guys say that swear by that for consistency for for consistent um uh primer ignition you know to ignite all the 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 propellant with the primer they say i i do it once on all my brass but i haven't done extensive testing with and without so i i can't tell you um there's a bunch of i'm trying to think is there anything that you can think of that we didn't really go over that if there is guys you know make sure and let us know we'll try to we'll try to uh we'll try to get crazy on it if we know if we've done it before i'm sure people will ask you about uh I've got questions here that I'm looking at right now about the presses you have and go, why, go, why we, you have one or the other. Dude, you look at the the Rock Chucker, awesome solid built like a tank press, great. Then you look at the Forster Coax, you're cutting your time in half with yeah. what it's got. Um uh, gosh, there's a guy on YouTube that does stuff, Ultimate Reloader, I think. He he does a a huge uh reloading press test against all of them and Rock Chuckers are really uh kind of a base inexpensive easy to get into but they were like number one or number two on his uh consistency thing and coax was up there too but damn those coaxes are nice they are so 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 it's so fast fast. just and that's what it is you get into the speed of things and i have never had a stuck case on a coax but i have had a lot of stuck cases on the rock chuckers just because of the shell holder design it it on that coax, it completely encases the head of your case. It, the Instead springs make it U. touch all the surface area yep. in that in that in that case head. Instead in that of just rim, a basically. U that touches seventy five percent, you're yep. getting all of it. Yeah, not all of it, but but, but the majority of yeah. it. So we have a question from this guy. I wrote this stuff down earlier today, guys. Like I said, I apologize. There's gonna there's, there's already more questions, and and maybe I'll write them down before we do the review and try to touch base on them. But we got a question from it's Cujo underscore twenty five, and he said, you know, how do you find your lands and regarding measuring and maintaining your your O drive? Okay, I've got a Sinclair tool. It's a pretty cool tool. And I probably should do a video on it. Maybe we'll just break this stuff down. But basically what it does is it gives you a formula. It gives you two measuring points. You thread them. You 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 take a, a deprimed piece of brass that's fire formed for that. And I'll try to explain this as clearly as I can. Firing a fire formed piece of brass for that cartridge. No primer in it. And um, you, you, uh, you, so basically use a decapping tool so you don't change the, the measurements, the value of that brass. And it's got a tube, and I just take the bullet, and I put the start the bullet in that tube, and I flick that bullet, and it shoots through that tube and wedges right up into the into the um, throat of your chamber. It doesn't seat it up into it. It just wedges it right in there. And then basically, you take a measurement. You put the brass in, blah, blah, blah. You do this. You be, Long story short, you take a measurement of that. You take it out, and um, you've got your formula. You subtract one number from the other, and it gives you what that brass with that bullet seated is to the lands. It gives you the exact number. And then if you want, you know, you, you have to use that exact bullet with that piece of brass to figure the number. And then usually I do that a couple times with a couple different pieces. And like I said, guys, I'm not getting in, I'm not telling you guys exactly how it, how it is, how, how you do it, but it, it's a tool that measures it. And, and Hornady makes one that you like, you, you push out. It's probably a little bit easier 
you can like push it out and then dial it down, lock it into place, and it measures that difference pretty quick. But the one I've got, it's a, it's a Sinclair tool, and I do that for two or three different uh, bullets and different pieces of brass just to make sure the consistencies average them out. And then um, usually what I do is I, I, I seed them in a few thousandths of an inch because you're in, you know, you get into dirty situations and you get shit, junk, crap, I should say, in there. You want to be able to have a little bit of that free bore. And that's the scientific way to go about it. When, when I do it, I'll just uh, load around close to what I think is. I'll pull my firing pin out so I don't have any resistance when I close my bolt. And I'll load chamber that round. I'll close my bolt. And if there's any resistance, I seat it in a thousandth. And I do it again. Close my bolt. If there's any resistance, I seat it in a thousandth. Till your bolt falls. And that's really close to where your uh, lands will be. James's way is a lot more scientific. Well, in the, either way isn't right. Either way yeah. isn't, sorry, either way isn't wrong. You can do whatever way you want. Yeah. I've done them both ways. And yeah. we'll show you both ways when we do the reloading review. But that's how we find that, you know. And, and then maintaining your ogive. I mean, if you have proper neck tension, I'm not sure what exactly that question would be. Um, some guys crimp. There, I don't crimp anything. We have enough neck tension, and there's not enough recoil in our rifles to really mess around with crimping. Unless he's talking about distance to lands, then then you're constantly chasing it. Yeah, that's just something you got to pay attention to. I mean, you, you, if if you're shooting, you're shooting. You get 500 rounds, 800 rounds out of a hot rifle, and you generally a higher velocity. You want to pay attention to that because you shoot a group at 100, and all of a sudden, oh man, this gun was a half an inch gun. Now it's an inch and a half. You start going back and breaking that stuff down. Take a look at that. If your throat's shot out, chase it. That's where shooting a secant ogive will will benefit you a little bit because it's not quite as picky. You could get a few thousand or maybe I don't know how many rounds, but you can get more rounds without having to chase your lands exactly. and follow them up. And for a hunting rifle, you know, just that's something maybe you want to look at. It it, it, it it take some of the variables out of the equation that you don't have to deal with. You know, just little things like that. But you there. It, I did that with my 260 when the when I started shooting the throat out. Absolutely, man. You just you just measure it. You take that tool. You take that tool and you measure it or do what John did the easy way. If you don't have that tool, you don't want to spend 40 bucks on it. Uh, with the Gunworks rifles or what rifle do you have that? You have a Bighorn Arms action. Origin. It's easy. You just yeah. boom, pop, quarter of a turn, pop it out, Seconds. toolless, and you're done. And you can measure that. And we'll show you what we're talking about. Um question got from from some guys why do you reload we explained that earlier on the main reason is for precision we build custom rifles have we have custom rifles built and i explained my analogy with the you know the whole situation where you're sitting you're shooting you got a little bit of a wobble any way that you can decrease that group size and eliminate uh that that larger group that variable of of making an unsteady shot even a steady shot i mean it gives us the opportunity to make a headshot at 150 yards at 200 yards versus oh you know i don't feel comfortable doing that we try to design it and make our platforms uh capable of it and and that same principle applies to our reloading we have a couple questions from a fella his username sarsath s-a-r-s-a-t-h um, how often do you play around with different primers? Never. I mean, two if tens the, have done everything we've ever needed. Up to. There's only been a couple guns where it's been a freaking a complete train wreck, and we got rid of them. We tried different primer primers, primers in them, and freaking yeah. said done. Primers done. didn't solve it. Nope. Didn't just. I mean, we use really good primers. Like I said, the Federal Gold Medal matches. Look at those. The two tens for your regular 
standard, you know, large rifle primers. Those are all you'll need if you can find them. Yep. Uh, not putting up, don't work with those guys. Not, not trying to put a plug. It's just, hey, man, they work awesome for us and they're top of the line. And then do you guys chase BC unrealistically in your opinion? Here's the thing. It all depends on, I mean, a coyote rifle, our max range is 400 yards. How high BC of a round do you need? Not very much. You really need to know how to shoot in the wind more, which BC plays a part in that because, you know, but, but here's the thing. How much is a, is a really high BC project? Well, it is, it's going to, um, but no, we don't chase it because if we did, We'd be shooting an eighty or ninety grain bullet out of our twenty-two. But rifles. but here's the thing: the kit that we do we design the rifles to be able to do that if we want to, yeah. if, we want, if to. we want to. But usually for for our predator hunting rigs, it's it's a lightweight fifty to maybe upper sixties, like the sixty-nine SMKs, yeah. and we're we're we've got a kill a kill zone from zero to four hundred. You know, trained shooting a lot. 100% of the time we know our ballistics from there to there when it starts stretching out past that we don't take the shot or we pull out the big gun you know we always say well you should bring your six yep or we should bring a 260 later on in the season when they start holding up so we can you know attempt those shots but generally we're filming we try to get close shots and that's what we do you know we try filming filming helps a lot sorry for the telephone call but um what what we do that's it we really don't i mean in the height in the longer range guns yeah we do in the longer range guns we do yeah we we chase bc because um still still not unrealistically though i mean not not in my opinion anyways because we we have a reason for that i mean you you want the best bc you can have well when you're shooting like when you're shooting 1250 1275 yards out there you you do you yeah. you design you, you there's it goes back to caliber selection bullet selection for that you want to have as less of a wind drift as you can you want to have as much performance downrange as you can and there's there's a lot of advances in ballistic coefficient but like John said you know we re, we really don't chase it but it is application specific if you're shooting a thousand plus yards you're probably going to buy a high BC round it's you're not really necessarily I mean you're investing the money. For that design but we don't it just depends on your application it, it just really does that's all what it boils down to we get whatever works for that specific application um we had a, a question from a mark and we're, we're pretty much wrapping it up here guys mark mark days do you use a ladder test to determine optimal load charge and and what what a lot of you guys don't I have before. I don't a lot. I think it's an awesome idea. It's it's an awesome, not an idea. It's a it's a well known concept. Exactly. In a in a in a a, in a factual one. It's a hundred percent legit, man. I want to do it more, but but optimal charge weight has just worked so well for us, and it's exactly so, so easy. You get more time behind your gun. And what optimal charge weight is? It's like it's it's a it's basically a charge weight that just freaking works. It's like a charge weight in a in a in a twenty two fifty such an inherently accurate cartridge. You can dump powder in it and shoot it, and it works. Yep. It's accurate. Now, granted, you know if you want to break this down, you can have a junk, a, a, a you can have sorry, you can have a very tight tight group at hundred yards, and you have a chrono there, and you're hundred feet per second off extreme spread. Now, what happens is downrange that starts to fall apart. 
big time. You you go to 400, 500, 600, 1,000 yards. You can't have that. You have With, huge vertical dispersion. Massive. So you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. I got it. I'll, I'll, t- I'll call him back. Sorry, guys. We got a guy that's hounding us. We've got to get cruising here. But you, you basically... Um, you can have a really good group as well. That's what we're having with our 250s. We're not even chronoing them. We're shooting them at 100 yards, boom, half inch, quarter inch group. We shoot them at 400 yards, boom, MOA, 400, you know, four inch group to usually most of the time, if it's a steady, no, no wind, half, half MOA, two inch group at 400. We're done. That's it. Optimal charge weight, no messing around, blah, blah, blah. That's it. Now, for a long-range rifle, like a 6XC or like a 260 Remington or a 338, absolutely. You want to find that note. You want to find, and kind of what it is, I've got some information. You know, you, you have like, um, like, like what they call it. It's like a scatter note is what they call it. Your, 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 bolt, your, your, your barrel's like a whip. You know, it, it, it moves. And you can relate this to like your, your tuning forks or guitar strings. Each size, the depth of the fork, the size of the string, the, the tension of that string has a different tone. And that's the same thing with your barrel. Um, each barrel has a different harmonic. And, and, and what happens is like basically uh, on, your, on your scatter node, what you don't want is that's, that's where all hell's breaking loose on your barrel. When your bullet is leaving that muzzle at the wrong time. You're going to have a junk group. You're going to have a, 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 a abnormal velocity, chrono measurements. What you want to do is you want to find that node where your barrel is harmonically stable, where there's where it's not flexing, where it's stable. And and if you if you graph it, and you guys can watch YouTube yep. videos of this. If you graph it, you'll see literally. Well, I was just watching it the other day. It, it was like, a, I think six point five guys on YouTube. Watch that one. It, it shows a graph where. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to find the node and they, they do it in 10 shots and the, there's the cold board then there's this next and then there's all 10 shots and you can see a slight increase and then boom there's a plateau and then yep. it starts to increase again you want to find that plateau where even though you're increasing your powder charge if you graph it you might only see a foot two feet three feet feet per second change in those three shots yep. and you're going two to three tenths of a grain per charge and that gives you more room for error in your charge too so like if you're not using a thousand dollar prometheus charge thrower uh, machine you exactly if you're right in the middle of that three tenths it gives you a little bit of forgiveness one tenth of a grain one way or the other that you're still going to hit really close to that marked velocity And, and and that's what what that does is you know you might have a junk group at 100 but you can break that down and start messing with seating depth or neck tension well neck tension might dick your velocity up a little bit on that but you can mess with seating depth and, and little little different things like that where you can tighten your group at 100 but but for long range you have to have that that extreme spread that standard deviation down to a lot of guys say 50 feet per second and 25 per second is optimal, but these single guys are getting, these guys are getting them down to single digits. Yeah. Ridiculous. We're, we're at a thousand yards. It doesn't, you're not getting flyers. You're not getting any kind of vertical dispersion. I'm seeing, I'm seeing pictures on my uh, Instagram feed every day. Someone that's got a two or a three for their SD. And I go, Holy sh- you have to be doing 
absolutely everything you can weigh in your brass knowing your case capacity cleaning oh, everything every time and probably uh stainless that's something we didn't talk about uh cleaning your brass yeah and and, and that's kind of i mean there's a lot of different things a guy can go into on that where some guys use stainless i don't i just use like corn cob media yeah. and let it tumble I, and I get use it in. walnut but i would really like to use stainless if i had water around see to me i get to the point where it's time again where you got to wash them out you got to dry them but if you if you're a competition shooter and you want to do a thousand pieces of brass freaking have at it you know like in in going back to like what we're talking about the the ladder test versus like the optimal charge weight and i'm doing something that i said you know we shouldn't do but here's the thing we're running the same bullets in three different guns but they were all reamed with the same. They were all chambered with the same reamer consecutively, all together. And we measured all the inf- all, We measured the the headspace in all of them, and we know that we have the you know we're bumping the shoulders the same in all of them. The charge weight is the same for all of them. And we're doing testing to make sure everything fits in all of them. We're not just reloading and saying, "Oh, I'll exactly." Fit. And and what and the reason for this is because there are night rigs. There are night rigs, and when we're going out in the dark, we don't want to have to dick around messing with somebody. Hey, James. Hey, John. Hey, Keith. You I need a, I need a, yeah. exactly. I got one here. You know, I got a shit. I got in my, my, my mag's full. I got an extra mag. Swap it. It's just something that is so much easier to be able to do. And it's not defeating what I said earlier on. If you know what you're doing, just make sure that you, you pay attention to that kind of stuff. Um, we have another two pages. No, no, I got one. I'll, I'll do, I'll do maybe one, maybe two more. We'll see. Um, how much powder or where to start? Um, like I said, you know, I, I, I just look at it a lot of times previous rifles. Personally, yeah. I look at previous rifles. I got all my data written down. Most of the time, I don't go out of whack and completely change my cartridge. I just rebarrel it to the same cartridge, and I kind of have a starting point. Talk to somebody that you know. Yeah, I, I and if you don't have a previous reference point, like I just built a 6XC, well, not just, but a while ago. And when I was trying to find my dad on that, I couldn't find anything on Hodgdon's powder calculator. There wasn't anything in any of our reloading books. So I Googled it and referenced Sniper's Hide always has good stuff. And, and make sure you find more than one count of a similar load charge. Don't just find a charge and say, oh, yep, that's good. That'll work. Find a couple references that are close to that before you actually trust and want to try it. And Sniper's Hide's legit, 100%. I mean, I've been on that forum for 15, 20 years soon as I get out of college, you know, and, and it's just been the guys, the guys put up a lot of awesome credential information and that's priceless when you have that kind of stuff. It, it really is. Sniper's hides a really good resource for any of this exactly. information. You can go to their, exactly. Anything. You can go to their search engine and, and I mean, you, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You guys need to check that place out. It's, it's, it's legit. So much information there to be, to be freaking soaked up. Um, how much powder do you usually go up when you're doing testing? I two to three tenths usually. I, I'll go half to half grains, and if I don't get what I'm what I'm wanting, if once I get close, then I'll go up or down two tenths. See, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. See, usually I go up usually probably about three tenths, and then really tweak it from there. But it just depends on what. You, usually the rounds that we're getting are once again inherently accurate, and you don't really have to mess with stuff and, and a lot of that falls back on powder bullet selection all of that cartridge all of it 
and having a quality rifle. I mean, how many 22-250s have we had that didn't shoot that one load that we always use? Exactly. We always shoot a 50-grain VMAX with a certain amount of VAR. 33, 33 grains of VAR get somewhere. 33 33.1, 31.5, right? It's, I mean, we've got it written down, and there's a there's a, a beautiful recipe there that we've got really awesome luck with. Um. Froth underscore on 71, on 71 message. Hey, man, what's your favorite projectiles? Application specific. We've had some awesome projectiles for predator hunting. Uh, shot placement's key for, for the, for the preservance of fur. Uh, a lot of guys are like, oh, man, why do you use 2250s? Because, like I said, it goes to our application. We're, we're, we're harvesting the fur. That's what we do. That's what that's what our goal is. Without trying to have to sew up a baseball size, the golf ball size, the softball sized hole, that's our goal. But for twenty two fifties, wouldn't you say a fifty grain V max for coyote hunting for that? They they shoot. They shoot. You load them up and they yep. shoot. I mean, we've used sixty grain cutting edge bullet Raptors. We worked with those guys. We still do a little bit. Those things were awesome for performance. Just thumped the hell out of a coyote. Minimal to zero fur damage reloading them is a different story you you there you i would that's where i got my necks or my uh, neck tension i started messing around with neck tension got them to shoot you there's some finesse there with that monolithic round you have to there's no give really in that round when it when it enters the riflings you know with with a jacketed softer copper bullet it, it's a little bit different it's more forgiving i i personally think that's kind of what i think so then you go to your longer range stuff you know for the six fives we it's been a 139 scenar. Always. For, That's what it's always been. Because they shoot. They you gas them, you gas them up. They have an awesome O drive and they you seed them off the lands. I've had two sixties where I've seeded them in the lands. No pressure signs. It just depends and, and they shoot. We've shot ELDMs, but but or and any other six five bullets we've shot, but those one thirty nine scenars just seem to work. I've got well over two thousand rounds out of my two sixty. I haven't changed anything not a single thing and i've got twice as much twice as many rounds as that with older barrels on my two and had them rebarreled and they just shoot and we're that's the beauty of it guys we're not tied to a powder manufacturer we're not tied to a primer manufacturer we're not tied to any reloading manufacturer that says hey man just use our stuff we've been very fortunate to be able to use tons a lot of different concoctions and found out for ourselves what we like main thing you know, designing a rifle, uh, fabricating a, a load for that rifle. Uh, you, like I said, you can put all of these recipes together and, and mix and match. You got to take into effect what bullet you're using with a twist rate of your barrel. Um, you know, what powder charge you're using to find that note of that barrel. Uh, and it, 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 all, of it's, all of it boils down to, to how precise really you want to get. And by being able to use a lot of this different stuff in the field, it, you get you get a system that shoots what, what we try to do. You build a system that shoots better than we can. That's what we want. We want a gun. When you vice it up, it'll shoot in the same hole so that if there's any variance, it's us. Hey, man, we got to get more trigger time. So shot placement is key with most of this stuff. But we have seen a lot of different performance in a lot of different variables regarding bullets and regarding cartridges that push those bullets faster or slower. You know, another thing, we, we can go into that on our rifles too, though, but our barrel lengths, like we said, you know, I think a lot of the performance that we get is the barrel length, the contours. And there's something I was reading the other day, 
how fast that node travels. And it doesn't matter if it's a sporter contour. It doesn't matter if it's an M24, an AMU, a straight contour. Uh, I didn't read if it was, if it, if it mattered, if it was a, uh, uh, fluted barrel. A lot of guys say fluted barrels make it more rigid. If you look at a piece of tin, that's you know, flimsy versus ribbed tin. It's okay. more rigid. Um, now there's even guys that are making barrels that are, what the hell are they? Uh, you had to have seen them. They're, they're carbon fiber, but they're, they're, it's like a, In a sleeve. Yes. They're, yeah. And, and, and it's, yeah. and it puts tension through yeah, from one point to the to other yeah, point. There's like a screw. It, and when they tighten it, it, it eliminates any yeah. very, it eliminates any harmonic. So any harmonics is what they're saying. In in oh yeah, eliminates. I knew all it of was it. supposed Ooh, to help. But I, I probably haven't heard should, that claim yet. I haven't. I was gonna buy one. I talked to a guy. I was gonna buy one Gosh, like no. last year, and I didn't. I was looking at him. Now I can't remember. The the, it's the guys that make. It's the same guys on Instagram that make those. Uh, um, you put them in front of your optic, and it changes your. Uh, oh, okay, it gives you an extra hundred minutes elevation or 50. mils, hundred, yeah. yeah, whatever it is, yeah. and you don't even have to. You can just use hold. You just it just duplicates yeah. your basically yep. your yeah you snap it on and you're freaking 100 mils higher 100 mils tack 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 hq or something like that is the name of them and they make those barrels look them up on instagram i can't remember i'd have to look but yeah it's just crazy man the stuff in in in, in their in paint you're paying more for it but you the performance you know it's it's easier to it's easier you don't have to spend i've had guns we've had three guns that were nightmares I wouldn't wish them on anybody. Ended up getting pissed, pulling them out of the chassis and selling them on sniper sites. They weren't and cheap we're done. guns. No, but we put $500 worth of freaking, probably $1,000 worth of ammo down. I'm trying to get different bullets, different primers, different brass, different not, seating depths, different neck tension. Not to mention the dies that we got for them. I yeah. Mean, I mean, we spent a lot of money on those that... Then they didn't shoot. They wouldn't shoot. We don't know if it was the bedding. We don't know if it was the concoction of the barreled action in the chassis. We, we couldn't. I said, there's a point in time where you're like, done. I'm done. I'm done. Screw it. I'm pissed. I'm done. And that's what we did. <laughs> and it's not like it was just one rifle. Yeah, there was three of them. They were in what we could go on to that. You know, that's probably pretty guys that love the hell out of that. But that's it, man. I mean, we got, like I said, fellas, we got a bunch more questions for you here on the phone. But we, we're out. We're at two hours here. And... There's guys that are just wanting us to go because we've like got to go pull a calf. Yeah, or plant some more corn. So, guys, I mean, I hope that you guys enjoyed the podcast. We're gonna get more content. This will be up on Anchor uh, pretty quick. It'll probably take me a while to get two hours worth of video footage rendered and uploaded. But once again, guys, I'm James O'Neill, and we've had John O'Neill with us as co-host. Uh, let us know what you guys want to hear next time on our follow-up podcast. You want to hear knives? We've got knives. My camera's blinking at me. Uh, you guys want to hear uh, custom guns, packs. We're going to try and get Glenn Eberly with Eberly stock on, and uh, who else? There was somebody, Aaron Davidson with Gunworks. There's a lot of different cool stuff that we got going on, guys. Hey, it's a crazy time out there. A uh, crazy ass year. You guys, uh, God bless you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. <laughs> God bless and uh, keep shooting. This is O'Neill Ops, and we are out. <laughs>